We're in John chapter 12 this morning, and to give us a little bit of a review, you got to recall that the Lord spoke to the crowd. We know that was a little bit, there's consequences for that anytime the Lord speaks to you in an audible voice or in a real way. I think it's something that you need to pay attention to, and it calls me in particular, it calls me to service. And I need to stay in that set of service because if I don't, I think there's consequences. I, see, I think you see that with, when we gave examples of Moses, we gave examples of David. And when God speaks to them specifically and they disobey him, the consequences are more severe. And so God speaks to this crowd specifically and Jesus says, this voice is not for you or for, for me, for my benefit, but it's for your benefit. And as we come this morning, the main point we have there in the bulletin, it says, when we take the step of faith and allow God's grace to wash us clean, it results in a freedom from sin's hold on us that results in death. And I just scratched out one of the that's in there, so you can figure out which one I did. So I think it reads better in a, in a general sense. So today's sermon's title is Jesus is Light. Now, if you've read any of John's scriptures that he's written, you have um, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Light is a big theme that runs throughout all his um, stuff. was talking to me. And uh, this is no exception. This is actually the last time that John speaks of light in the gospel of John. And so we'll see that here. And he is talking about his light, which is interesting because it can be two different things, I believe. You could take it as his life and you could take it as his gospel message because it could be, because I don't think it stops. His life doesn't stop. It just dims for a little bit. You know, they they bump the light switch for three days and then turn it back on uh, the third day. Praise God for that, right? This is also a very hard scripture for me to preach on. I don't like John chapter 12 because it's where the people should have taken Jesus. They should have accepted him and they reject him at this point. This is kind of the, the climax of their faith the, where they could have gone and they didn't. They, they chose to go their own way. Jesus is starting to reveal what he has, and that's hard for me. Anytime I get into Scripture, when I'm reading through the Bible, I think of um, you start reading through the Kings, and First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, and you watch how they get closer and closer to God, and then they turn away from him. And then there's that battle of, am I going to follow God or not? And it shows, if you look at that as a pattern, it's a pattern that happens in each one of our lives. And I struggle with this because, I don't know, one, it's convicting, <laughs> so it's like, <"Arr!" laughs> but the second is because I hate to lose. I don't like to lose, and I don't like when people give up on Jesus, and that's kind of what I feel like they're doing, but then when I, I want to point the finger at them, I always have three pointed back at me, don't I? And so when I'm pointing back at myself, I'm like, you do this all the time. You do this all the time, Shane, and when you look at this, um, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating for me 
how come I can't win those little battles and things? Um, I'm, I'm serving a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me, no matter what men would say, right? And so why can't I believe that um, and then put it into practice, right? And then I want to see my church put that into practice as well. And that's really the, the heart of the message this morning as we get into there. So we're going to read John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus replied to the accusations of, or the, hey, the, that voice was out there, right? My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light as you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Excuse me. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them, which is the last time he does the disappearing act as well in this, okay? So Jesus, the crowd hears God the Father talk to them. Jesus says, I'm going away from you in in a sense, he is indicating that he's going to die. They say, well, we didn't think the Messiah was going to die. We didn't think he was going, that was going to happen. Jesus replies, it's going to happen for a little time, and then a time after, I'll be back. Okay, so our first point today is Jesus is the truth. Jesus has upset the apple cart when it comes to the leadership of the community. The Jewish leaders, they want to snuff out the truth because the truth would lead them away from giving them the power. And now they are under Rome's power and authority. A lot of them have been appointed by Roman authority. But they have this advantage that they are over the temple. And the temple is still loved and respected by the people, therefore they're over the people. And Jesus has come to change that a little bit. How do we know that? Because we know that Jesus is going to dwell in our hearts and he's going to open up uh, that temple for each one of us to be his temple, right? That's why we ask Christ to come into our hearts That does that's getting a little attack these days. I don't know if you've ever, if you've heard that in, in Christian circles, be like, Jesus doesn't live in your heart. He's everywhere and things like that. Well, when we say that, we're saying that we're surrendering to Jesus and we make, in a sense, a throne in our heart so he can come live with us. And the spirit does dwell in us. And it does say that biblically that he is in our hearts. So I don't know if you've heard that, but it's becoming more and more of a thing to question that. And there has to be a point of surrender, okay? This is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's really important. There has to be a point of surrender where you say that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I am not in control anymore. Jesus, you're in control. control. A lot of people start that off with the sinner's prayer, right? Where we ask Jesus to come into our life. We recognize that we're sinners and that Jesus um, is not and that he wants to come live with us. That's how the, the journey starts. Does it end there? No, otherwise we wouldn't be in church anymore, right? Once we got it, we would be done. However, there's a lot of Christians out there that believe that's where the journey does end. I got my fire insurance, I'm done, I'm not going to hell. Praise God, and praise God for that. But there's more 
there's so much more. And if we leave a faith that's shallow like that, you're left with, unfortunately, modern Christianity today. You go to church to feel good. Church is about you. And it is not exciting if your feelings didn't get moved, right? Well, there's other things in this world that excite me, maybe just as much. But there's nothing that excites me when I put and invest time and energy into my into Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. And I walk towards sanctification, which means I walk to try to be more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. I'm going to try to be more like Jesus, okay? So my temple, the spirit overflows out of it, right? So as Christ is pouring into my life, Shane comes to the top and he wipes off the dross, right? Like he does in... in Metal, when you're taking care of that, it gets rid of that stuff, wipes it off, and then outpours the spirit out of that. And when he pours out into other people's lives, they can't help to see the good things that you do to praise your Father in heaven. How did you handle that situation? Anybody ever ask you that? How did you handle that? If you don't give the credit to the Lord right there, um, you missed the mark. <laughs> okay? Guess what? Your pastor's missed the mark plenty of times, okay? I'm learning that as I grow and mature um, to give him the praise. So, why were the people content with the system that has grown? That they, they submit to the temple, they submit to the leadership, and the leadership submits to Rome. Because they've kind, they found comfort in their complacency, and they're not going to rise up unless somebody else is going to do it. This was the norm. Jesus is the healing light to all men. He's not just healing, trying to heal the leadership. He's trying to heal everyone. And I think he starts at the bottom a lot of times and works his way up. That's why I kind of like where we're located. You know, people say, well, I can't go to church. I can't, I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough to go to church. Well, guess what? We're not, none of us are good enough. And that's how we're going to measure. We would never make it. But we're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. And through Christ, the door is open to us. Amen? That's right. So the average person that doesn't want to bother with that vice that is holding them back, that little sin that hangs on to them. And a lot of times they don't even worry about it until it becomes a threat to their own life. Uh, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's smoking, whether it's caffeine, I've seen it all. I've seen all addictions. I've seen people addicted to Mountain Dew. How do you know? Because they had the shakes when they come off Mountain Dew. And that's, it's, it's bad, yeah. It's just as bad as any other addiction, right? Whether it's drugs, alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's people. You can be addicted to people. You can be addicted to one person. It's called codependency. The only addiction we need is Jesus Christ. 
He's the only one that's going to satisfy that longing. Each one of those things indicates that we have a longing, right? And if you look at the world and everything in it, a little plug for that uh, podcast, by the way. I learned this next statement on there. You ever listen to news today? It doesn't, it's not good, is it? Yeah, and I get to, I'm the same, Jesse. I try not to because it's depressing. Everything's wrong with the world. Everything's trying to be made a controversy. But doesn't that scream? This is what they pointed out on the world and everything in it. Doesn't that scream the need for a savior? The world is broken, right? The world is broken. And if we don't have a solution in the church, where are we going to go? If Jesus Christ is not the solution, so the more they scream that there's a problem, you're like, hallelujah, there's a problem. I have the solution. And that's kind of what Jesus does here. He defines himself as a solution, and they just are like, oh, praise God. No, no. He has to slip away from them once again, probably because they're trying to kill him again. Oh, boy. But Jesus says in John 8, verse 32, he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus has come to set us free. The question is, are you ready to be set free? Are you ready to let go? Are you willing to let go? Are you going to have to wait till you're scared to death before you're ready to wake up? When we take the step of faith and we allow God's grace to wash us clean, it results in the freedom from sin's hold on us that results in death. Can you? When I wrote that statement, I want to. Sin leads to death, right? Does it do it fast all the time? Sometimes it does it very fast. Sometimes it creeps over time and time and time. It just you, you go to say that sinner's prayer right before you die, and it just whoop, pulls you right down to the grave with it. No, I think I'll be my own God. I'll chance this one too. That's dangerous, isn't it? When do you see life change in Christ? Do you see it? You see it a little bit beforehand, right? But I dare say you see it tons after you submit to him. And that's the faith step. You have to have faith that he's going to work all things together for his glory. That's hard to believe, isn't it? When we go through those times of pain and suffering, when the news, when we become the news in our life and we experience the pain and the suffering, are we willing to give it over to the Lord and trust that he's going to work this out. He has something bigger. Have we become Job? Well, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But some, some of us in here have, are, are going through it right now. They're going through Job moments. Job had to go through a challenge between Satan and God, right? And Satan took everything away from him. Took his health, took his family, took his livelihood, took his lands. And God said... I did it all for my glory, and that's good enough for you to know. Did Job ever find out why God did it? No, he did not. Somebody did because they wrote it down. But 
Job never ever found out why. There's a bigger thing happening in heaven that sometimes we just don't know about. And Satan loves to work through that suffering, doesn't he? That is his biggest tool, which ultimately was his demise. So he tried to make Christ suffer on the cross, and when Christ died, Satan lost, right? Praise God, because he rose again. John chapter 12, verse 37 through 41 is the unbelief of the people. It says, but despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly why Isaiah the prophet had predicted. It says, Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful name? But the people could not believe for... As Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Wow. Light reveals what darkness conceals. Light reveals what darkness conceals. This is a pattern we have seen across the whole Bible. It culminates in Jesus Christ. We see it again with Paul and his journeys and many of the apostles afterwards in the book of Acts. So God's people, they turn their backs on God, and this is a hard teaching because it hits so close to home because we see in Isaiah 53, 6, it's predicted When the prophet wrote, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And unfortunately, this is a pattern we can find in our own lives. We walk, we stray away, and we come back just like sheep. And we come back to the shepherd for our safety, our protection, our direction. And like God pleads with Cain... In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it's so, he's, so he pleads with us. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Can we do that without Jesus Christ? Not very easy. I, I would say maybe 1%, us, 99%, and I might be generous on us. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. He starts it. He stops it. I think there's just a decision there that we choose not to, and that's the, the free will of it all, right? So Jesus allows us to subdue and master sin that attacks our lives. What is the Lord working on in your life that you need his help for deliverance? And if you're taking notes for candy like I know my son is, here's the process. Here's what I want you to write down, okay? There's a four-step process, I think, that I have wor- has worked for me for deep-rooted sin. It's not in your bulletin, so you might want to write it on the side. It says, the first one is move from unawareness 
to awareness. Sometimes we don't realize that we have sin in our lives. I, I see this growing up. Um, if somebody comes to Christ later on in their life, sometimes they have bad habits that are set in, and as they read their Bible and they pray, they are convicted on some of these habits, and they are like, whoa, I need to change some of these habits. Sometimes it's rooted in as Christian pride, and I, I have arrived. Well, there's, there's trouble right there because none of us have arrived. This is kind of where I would fall in. This is the example I'm going to give you today. So clear back in the year 2000, in the year 2000, have you ever watched Conan O'Brien? So clear back in the year 2000, give or take, God worked on, was working on my pride. So this is, this is the most arrogant statement that I could ever say. And I am about to say it. And this shows you where, how, how deep filled of pride I was. I assumed that I had arrived because, you know, this is, I graduated college. I know everything, right? Um, I've arrived and I really don't have anything I need to work on. So I knew that statement right there is sin. I knew it was. Because if I don't have anything to work on, I know I have pride to work on. And so where are the roots to pull this weed out? Because you know, Phil, when you're gardening, if you just pop off one of those maple trees, they come right back, those dirty dogs. You know, hackberries are worse. Yeah, they, they just, mulberries, they come right back. It's like you got to get them by the roots and you got to pull them out or they're just going to come right back. It's the same with sin. So I knew this was going to happen. So I, I moved from unawareness to awareness. I knew when I said that arrogant statement, that was, wow, something I need to work on, okay? So I was really convicted of this prayer, enough to battle with my pride, but I, I knew it was a problem, but I was blind to see it. I couldn't see it. Um, I'm loud and boisterous, so not everybody always likes to tell the loud and boisterous side person that they're prideful. It was about seven years later when I saw pride split a church that it really opened my eyes. And how did I see that? Because I could see myself in, in both sides, but in what I felt like was the more prideful side. And I saw a difference in an attitude and in, in their mind and self-reliance. And I became aware of how arrogant it was. And the Lord revealed to me, you're not much different. You are not much different. Oh, boy. Yay. There's where it really moved from unawareness to awareness. Now I have things, I, I have steps I can work on, right? So number two is confess. Confess known sin in detail. So if you're struggling with something and you know it, confess it in detail. Lord, I did this, 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 and this. I'm having a hard time with this. And confess unknown sin. Lord, I've sinned against you. I'm not really sure how but I know, I know I, I'm a sinner and I need 
reveal more, reveal more, because the, the more I, shame I can get out and the more spirit I can get in, the better off I'm going to be. So get specific. Get tough on your sin nature. It's okay to be angry with sin. It's okay to be angry with yourself for sinning. Okay? But it's also important to repent and restore. Okay? So it's a time of anger. It's not a, it's not a mindset you sit in. Right? That's just going to turn to bitterness, and you're going to start blaming other people for things that you do. It doesn't work. I've tried. Right? So confess. Confess. Rebuke it. And get raw before the Lord. Don't be satisfied. Don't take pleasure in it. Sometimes we do. That's usually why we, we sin. But if you can get to the point where sin doesn't give you pleasure anymore, wow, you're going to get rid of that really fast. And you don't allow it to give you pleasure. You're going to get rid of it even faster. That is something that's amazing. Micah 6.8 says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good and what is required of you to do what is right, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is mercy? It's love and action, right? Mercy and grace are both. Sometimes grace would be the lack of action because you're, you're withholding a punishment maybe. Same with mercy sometimes too. But it's following through with your love. You know? And we've talked about that last two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Love requires sacrificial action. If you don't, you're not really, you, you can say it all you want, but you're not doing anything about it. So put your love, some, some faith into your love and move it forward. Confession to God and to others, somebody else that you can trust, breaks the power of sin and darkness. So if you still have a hard time and you've confessed it to the Lord, confess it to other people. You wouldn't believe the strongholds that fall down when sin comes out in the open. It just knocks it out of the park. It takes its authority out of your life and um, it humbles you as a person and God starts working big time then. Number three, heal the wound. Heal the wound. I think of sin like arrows. This was given, presented to me this way from one of my friends clear back in high school, so back in 1996. You're like, what? I didn't even know there was life before the year 2000. It's true, it happened. Many people were there. They're all in this room. That's right. So I think of sin like arrows. They're shot at you, and if you have your full armor of God on, as your homework was for last week to read that, Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't, you can read it this week. Put on your full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil and his schemes, right? You will be safe. But what if one gets in between the seams? and just kind of sets in there, or maybe they hit you just right, and you're in a moment of temptation. Well, it works its way in between the plates, and the danger is you appear fine on the outside, but your heart is rotting from the sin 
on the inside. And now shame starts to build. And you're like, what would people think if they knew this about me? What would people think if they, if they only knew? What would they do? Well, they have compassion in this congregation because goodness knows I've gotten up here and confessed a ton of my sins right in front of you guys. So um, it's not easy, is it? It is not easy. But honestly, I think that is the hardest thing for me to do as a Christian, uh, to stand in front of this congregation and say, I, I struggle with this. Because we want to be the heroes, right? Jesus is our hero. He's our superhero. He's the one that's defeated death. He's the only one that's ever done it and will continue to reign and be more powerful than sin in our lives. And so it's not me. I'm just a conduit uh, to give the praise up and then to tell the message back down, right? That's what he tells us to do. So... If you have a hard time with sin creeping in, find somebody that you can trust, that you confess that to. Uh, gals, gals, guys to guys, usually. So if you struggle with pride, so we're trying to heal the wound, right? Struggle with pride? <laughs> You're a pastor. Do a selfless act of kindness. That always helps get rid of pride. Make somebody else the hero of the story. That's another good one, right? Instead of saying, look what I've done, oh, look what they've done. That is a, a really good way. Look what God's done through them. That's even better. Whoa. Awesome, huh? Anger. How I worked on anger in my life, and I've pretty much worked it out, just get some baby calves. Baby calves will work on your anger and they'll just take care of it, right? You feed a two-day-old baby calf, what does a calf do the next day? It's hungry. It butts, right? Well, when you're a teenage boy, about the age of 13, where's that thing going to butt you? Right between the legs. Amen. God bless you, calf. That's not what I said. Uh, I didn't use choice words. I used choice actions. Um, you're going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. You're not going to do that again. I learned that is just the dumbest thing because who's more intelligent between the two-day-old calf and me? I am. So don't put yourself in a position that you're going to get butt between the legs. It doesn't work. But think through the process, right? Think through it. Don't get stuck where we get angry. Look past the wall of anger. And so sometimes we got to take deep breaths, take two deep breaths. As, um, physically, that helps you calm down. Count to 10, count to 20, count to 30 if you got to. Walk away from the situation, come back to it. And that is important. Sexual temptation to heal that wound. Pray for your family. When you're sexually tempted, that will cure that really fast. Pray for your husband or your wife. If you don't have one yet, pray for your future husband or your wife. That helps, right? Because you're trying to keep your marriage bed pure. That's very important. Number four, repeat the process, right? Because it's not going to happen overnight. You're dealing with Large trench sin, 
Uh, one of the large trench sins in my life is sexual temptation. That didn't start when I was, it started when I was like six or seven, right? Um, earlier than that even, actually. And so when I am walking into it as deep as I got in my teens to walk out of it, it takes a process. Sometimes when God can remove those right away, right? Take that temptation right away. Sometimes he's like, this is going to be the thorn under your side. And this is the thing that you're going to have to work on. And you're going to have to stay pure in. And that's one of the things that I've worked on. And I have to stay on top of my game, man. So that's something that I, I do on a daily basis and try to, to keep in front of the Lord. Lord, keep my eyes on you. Keep my mind. Uh, guard my mind. Guard my thoughts. And that helps tons when I wake up and say that prayer. Simple, sweet. God knows what I mean. I know what I mean. And we're working on it, right? So repeat the process. Don't think ever, oh, I got this. You ever do that? Oh, I got this. Oh, I won't say it today. I'm going to be lazy today. Not going to pray. How'd that work out for you? You ever notice that's the day your car breaks down? <laughs> You're like, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Anytime you say that I can handle this, guess what you're appealing to? Your self-righteousness. I think that is like the definition of self-righteousness. I got this. Right? Because when you say, if you think you can make yourself a better person, guess what? You're appealing to your self-righteousness. When you compare yourself to somebody else, you're not comparing yourself to the Lord. You're appealing to your self-righteousness. That's wrong. You're not supposed to say, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. <laughs> you always notice how we like pick like Hitler and Stalin to compare ourselves to? Oh, I didn't murder as many as he did. <laughs> right? Well, duh. Jesus, Jesus takes that to the next level. It says, if you hate your neighbor you're in trouble. You've already killed him in your heart. You need to confess. Right? If you've thought about your neighbor sexually, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You need to confess. It's a heart issue. It is not an actions issue. It heart happens here first, and then it comes out. It comes out of our mouth first, then it comes out of our actions a little slower. Right? What's your mouth saying lately? Your actions are soon to follow. That's a tough one. It's one advantage I have over as a pastor in a congregation. It's my job to be in God's Word. So... I get to be in it a little bit more than you. So when I step out into the world, I'm always, I'm always stunned. Like if I go sub at school or if I get into the real world, in a sense, as a job market, I've been bivocational before. It's always stunning to me how oppressive the world is. So I get it. I understand. It is hard to be a Christian out there. But you just buckle down, you buckle down, you buckle down, you buckle down, and there's a point and stop that you're not going to slide anymore. You put your stake in the ground, and you start pushing back. And when you push back, 
you'd be surprised how much room you get, elbow room, to be a, a Christian. And people actually want to hear, if you're not arrogant, if you're not um, pushy, in a sense, you tell them to stop, but you don't push any farther than that. You live it out, and then you intersect Jesus into your conversations a little bit at a time. They'll, they'll talk about Jesus, and they'll understand that you don't really want to talk about all that other stuff. So be bold, be brave, and intersect Jesus in your conversation just a little bit, right? It's important. But then you got to live it out, right? Because your actions, for the good that you do, so we can praise your Father. No? All right. I could sing that song and just sing it the rest of the time and have the sermon here. It's when we... We take a step in faith and allow God's grace to wash us clean. It results in a freedom from sin that holds us, sin that holds us, and the and the result of that is in death. John twelve forty two and forty three says, many people did believe in him. However, there's always a but, right? However, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear of the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. I might not get invited to lunch by Sally and Timmy when they go to Panera, and I love Panera, and it's always more fun to go with people. But if I talk about Jesus, they might be afraid that I talk about Jesus at lunchtime too, and then they might ostracize me. And that's that's the definition of praise of people more than God, right there. Right? It's a hard pill to swallow. I remember, I remember one time, <laughs> I was working at um, Morton Welding when we first started White Rose. I was working their third shifts. I got there. We just went through the debacle at the other church, and I was very passionate about Jesus. Told my my testimony. First three days there, I'd, everybody knew that I was a pastor and that I was uh, loved Jesus. And you know what they always do when you tell them this this has happened to me, whether it's walking beans, uh, detasseling, working at Morton uh, Welding. Well, I bet we're going to get you smoking and drinking before you get us going to church. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it is so on. <laughs> it is so on. Because um, that definitely never happened uh, for me. But it's, it's funny that those are associated with sinners. You know, it's, it's, those things need to be done maybe in moderation. And they can have control over you. And they knew they did it. Most of the guys there were either alcoholics or smoke like a chimney. And I remember sitting down with my foreman, and he was just talking about different things and how he got drunk, and he was drank whiskey, so he get when he got drunk, he got drunk. And I shared the love of Jesus and how, dude, Jesus can fill that hole. I love talking to this guy at, at lunch, and he didn't sit with me for another month. He went and sat in another section. Um, didn't, didn't come by my, my section very often. And he said, ah, you know what you're doing. And I did. He didn't have to necessarily supervise me. But 
It was more than that. I knew it was more than that. You know what happened? They're, uh, they have to calibrate each part and make sure it's right. We had one in their section, one in our section. Guess whose section kept breaking down every time? Their section. So they had to come over by me <laughs> and have conversations. Um, it's funny how the Lord worked that out. Um, so we need to keep our focus on Jesus, right? Keep our focus on Jesus. It's easy to worry about ourselves. It's easy to let anxiety build. It's easy to want control. Why? Because it generally comes back that we want to impress people. We want to be, we want to fit in. We think we're strong enough to handle the situation. However, once we have fallen into sin, Jesus is the only one who can rescue us. And that's the way it always should be. And when we can confess that to our non-believing friends, that is a testimony in itself, isn't it? We focus through daily reading of the Bible. Maybe daily listening of the Bible. What do you do on the way to work? Why well, listen to 97X or 95, whatever, the drive, you know? Brum, brum. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to lose control. Come back. All right. Why don't you listen to your Bible app on your phone? Why don't you pray on the way? This is one of the best times to get quiet time. You know what cures um, road rage? Listen to how Jesus did it with the Pharisees. <laughs> you don't, you're like, oh, go God. You know, because you could be that, you could be that idiot out in front of you, Right? I've been that moron. So I can give grace as that person right now yelling at me is hopefully going to give me some grace when I go. <laughs> right? Pray daily. Pray daily. Phil and I were talking about a prayer journal. He says, I want to get a prayer journal because to look back and see what the Lord has done Wow, isn't that a testimony itself? To look back three months to see where you were or with the situation that you were in and how God's walked you out of it. Maybe it's your schedule at work. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's um, something you're going through with your family right now. Maybe it's a young one that, that you're praying for right now. All those that have been described are congregants out here right now, right? And we pray we pray for one another. We humble ourselves and say, hey, I need prayer. That's what a prayer request is. Did you know that? That's like an act of humility to say, I can't handle this myself. I've asked the Lord to handle it, and I'm asking you to ask the Lord on my behalf. Do you see how low you just put yourself on the totem pole? That's awesome. God works through that whether he's working in your life or whether he's working in this situation, he's working. Amen? God works. When we take a step of faith and allow God's grace to wash us clean, it results in freedom from sin's hold on us that eventually would lead to death. We can't let it happen. Let's finish off the chapter. John chapter 12, 44 through 50 says, John shouted, John, he did, but Jesus shouted to the crowds, he is not backing down, is he? He is not going to back down. He wants to make sure everyone can hear. 
says, if you trust me, you're not trusting only in me, but also in God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me for I have come to save the world and not judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged in the same on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his command leads to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me. People, Jesus is under authority. He was there at the beginning of creation. He was with God. He is God, and yet he submits to the authority of God the Father. If Jesus can do it, so can I. Right? The guy that doesn't need to do it, does it. He sets the example for me, a guy that does need it, to do it. It is good to be under authority. You have their direction, sometimes their protection. Jesus was directed to speak the truth to God's people. Additionally, he was directed to do so in parables that allowed the people to see how much God loved them, and through his teaching and through his miracles, he also gave um, God's love. And up to this point, he was protected, like in verse 36, it says, after saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. So I, I, I don't know what happened between those two verses. If he slipped away and then he went to a higher place, maybe. He went to a place where everybody could hear him and he shouted this next statement. He put himself right back into danger, didn't he? Because he knew God was going to protect him. God, his time had not yet come. And it's really, really close at this point. Right? We're walking, uh, chapter 13 is when he washes his disciples' feet. And that's the beginning and the end. So we're, we're probably the day before Days before? I don't know. It's right in there in the timeline. Verse 44, Jesus shouts to the crowd, if you trust me. It's a bold statement placed under God's authority, set in front of everyone. Jesus, in a sense, is drawing a line in the sand. If you're for me, cross the line. If you're not, you stay right where you're at. He does that to each one of us as well. In verse 47, Jesus says he does not come to judge the world, but all who reject him will be judged on the day of judgment. And that's verse 48. And again, he appeals to God's authority as the message was given by the Father. So have we seen this before? Have we seen this narrative and dare I say, have we seen this narrative in the Gospel of John? Yes, we have. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When Jesus was talking to Israel's teacher, Nicodemus. 
So if you want to turn there real quick, that's where we're going to end our sermon today. We find Jesus' 15-second testimony in John chapter 3, don't we? You see it in verse 14. It says, man's problem of sin represented by the bronze snake, right? Then Jesus happens, and then God's solution is the end of, is 15 all the way through 21 is the solution. Okay, so let's read this together in John chapter 3, 14 and 15. It says, and as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the bronze snake as a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What does the bronze snake represent in Moses' time? What's the story? The people rebel against God very blatantly this time. God sends vipers out into the camp and starts biting people. Moses pleads to God. He says, put a bronze snake on the pole. Take it out in front of the people. Anybody who looks on the snake will be saved. Well, God made an idol for them to be saved? No. No. God gave them a solution. He gave them a choice. Are you going to look on the snake or not? It's your choice. You don't have to do this. If you do, you're going to be saved. If you don't, he just made it a matter of the heart, right? He made it a matter of the heart. If you believe that you'll be saved, you are going to be saved. It is a very powerful passage of Scripture where Jesus is transferring it more and showing how faith is involved in the sacrificial process, right? Who's the ultimate sacrifice? Jesus. What's the snake represent? Jesus. Jesus says it right here. So, so as a snake was lifted up, so the Son of Man has to be lifted up. Then Jesus, right? Jesus happens. What happens after that? Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God is a God of life. So why would, we do, why would God do this? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Because God promised that from the very beginning of the world that he would be the redeemer. He would bring the solution. He promises to Abraham. He promises this to David. He promises that Adam and Eve. He promises it. If you look at um, Hebrews chapter 11, each one of those faith, they believed the promise that God gave and was considered, they were considered righteous then because of their belief. They submitted, they believed, put into practice that God was going to send a redeemer. He happened to send his very own son, the suffering servant, in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, I didn't write that down. Um, but that's where we're getting this. So it's kind of the two-step process of salvation in the sense that Jesus is going to come twice. He's going to come first to enter the age of grace, and then he's going to come the second time, and it's going to be the end of all time. Right? 
Why would God do this? For God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Why? Why am I not dead already? Why has God continued time? You ever thought about that? Why didn't he just stop at Adam and Eve? Because that's not how God is. God loves the world. God loves the world. They'd allowed it to go. We can't fathom that kind of love. God sent his son of the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is not judging the world this time around. He is presenting the gospel of grace. He is there to die once for all time so that we do not have to live an eternal death, but that we can be invited to life. What does this mean for us? Verse 18, it says, There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. What does that mean? It means when we do not have Jesus in our heart, we've never accepted Christ in our life, we're going to hell. We stand like that before a holy God will wither away and die. He, he would burn us up just like chaff in a fire. We can't do it. But when we accept and we surrender to Jesus Christ, we don't stand, we're not going to be judged in the sense of our sin has power over us. We have Christ's authority over us and he washes those sins away as white as snow. We have to come to a point of surrender to believe that. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate, hate the light and refuse to go near it, for the fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. People, our testimony is in our actions. Our testimony comes out of the wellspring of life that God puts in. It comes out through our words. How's your testimony before men these days? Do we have something that we need to confess? This is another sin that I have a hard time doing and putting the Lord first in my life. It's where that pride likes to creep in, right? Look what I did. No. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus removes the boundary between God and man. God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin can't be in his presence. What happens to sin in God's presence? It's burned off like the dross. It's wiped off and removed from his presence. We have victory because of his grace through our faith. He gives us life and now we choose to live for him. When we accept Jesus into our life, 
It needs to show up in our actions. That's called faith. It's not, I believe in my heart. No, it shows up in your actions. It becomes part of your lifestyle. And when it becomes part of your lifestyle and it becomes part of your actions, you know what that big Christianese word's called? Sanctification. Right? That's what we look for when we baptize people. We want to see that they are walking with Jesus and they want to profess that to the world. We do that through baptism. Okay, that's what baptism is all about. Because when we take the step of faith and allow God's grace to wash us clean, it results in a freedom from sin's hold on us, which would result in death. But we have life in Christ. We have the victory by grace through faith. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity to surrender to a God who loves us, who wants the best for us, and that does immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for healing hearts. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the healing you're about to do. Lord, we pray for those that are... um, that need your healing hand. We pray that you would be with this little child. Lord, we pray for those who are imprisoned and that are scared uh, because they've stood up for what is right, for what, they, what we believe is right, and ultimately for your word across the world and even in this country today. We pray for those who have stood up for the truth. Lord, we ask that you would bring freedom freedom to them, and we would set them free. Lord, set us free to live and to be full of grace and to overflow your spirit into other people's lives so that they can see the good that you do and they can praise their Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.